All right, we're going to be in Hosea. We're going to be in Hosea chapter 8. We're in the section in the book of Hosea, if you remember, chapters 1 through 3, paint for us a picture of an illustration of Hosea, the prophet of God who represents God, marrying an unfaithful woman. Uh, He married a prostitute. Of course, she was unfaithful to him. He had children of, of her prostitution so he had three children whose names all become prophetic in the book and then she runs away and she just you know falls into debauchery and finally she ends in a place nobody wants her she's just owned by creditors she owes money to to whoever is her the authority over her it's very much like a pimp and a prostitute in our days And God tells Hosea, go back and get your wife. And he goes back and he pays to have her released from the one who owns her. And he brings her home. He forgives her. He restores her. This is the illustration that is the backdrop to the prophecies of Hosea. It's an illustration of how God's relationship is with the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is unfaithful to him. And they're going to find themselves in a downward spiral where ultimately they're going to be in a foreign land owned by someone else. And God is going to redeem them. And so we find ourselves in chapters 4 through 10. These are the charges that the prophet is laying out against the nation of Israel. Remember, Israel is divided into two parts now. Northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. Northern kingdom is going to become... The Samaritan people, they're going to be conquered by Assyria. 150 years later, Judah is going to be conquered by Babylon. So if you've been with us, we went through Daniel, we've done the history. So hopefully you kind of have a a mindset of, of how this works. Now, as we look at the charges that Hosea has brought, the first one he brought against the nation of Israel is they were ignorant of the Lord and his word. And that was a wanton ignorance. It wasn't because they were trying to know God. They were trying not to know God. In fact, the second charge is they were indifferent toward him. They didn't care that they didn't know him. The third charge was the iniquity of of Ephraim, and it uh, lends toward their idolatry. And tonight, uh, the charge is going to be that Israel has forgotten God. If you look at these charges laid out by God to the nation of Israel and you hold them up in parallel to the illustration of Hosea's life, his story, you'll see the parallels between Gomer, Hosea's wife, and and the things that she did that was hurtful and destructive to her marriage and the things Israel is doing that's hurtful and destructive to their covenant with God. And so this is the picture of the book of Hosea. So we'll pick it up in Hosea chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Now there's two other times so far in Hosea that Hosea tells the people, Sound the trumpet. If you remember in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel challenged the watchers on the wall that they had a job, that there was a role for the leadership within the country 
to sound the warning when the people were getting off track. Now, if we want to understand that in our world today, this is the responsibility of a church being salt and light to sound the trumpet when the nation the church is in is off track. Anybody notice any of that going on? And I think a lot of times we think, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. We should probably not complicate it. We should probably make it simple. We should be saying, this is not okay. Um, several years ago, we had, uh, when Bill Battery, I don't know, anybody remember Bill? So Bill Battery did a, a ministry out to Planned Parenthood. And we would take a lot of heat for being out at Planned Parenthood. But just for standing on the corner on Wednesday, which was abortion day back then, just for standing on the corner, there was a percentage of women who would not come show up for their appointment just because someone's there. And I know sometimes we think, oh, it's just it's terrible that you're out there. and it's. But the, the point is someone's sounding a trumpet. And I had some people stop one time and they said, I don't, I don't think you guys should be doing this. And I said, well, this is a bad thing that's going on. In fact, last year was a record year for Twin Falls. So they broke the, their previous record for abortions. So they are happening there in Twin Falls. And anyways, they said, I don't think you should be doing this. This is, uh, we don't like how you're doing it. And I said, well, perfect. You tell me how to do it and I'll do it that way. They didn't have any ideas. So the charge from Ezekiel to the people was sound the trumpet. One of the, the, one of the things the scripture calls us to do is to call to repentance the one whose feet are swift to shed blood. Even if that's all that's happening. And there's a lot of ways we see our culture declining, Right? There's a lot of ways our culture is. That's not the only thing, right? There's plenty of things that you can think about. And if those things are going on and they're a part, the part of the idea of the church being salt and light is they sound the trumpet. And the problem that Hosea had with the nation of Israel in his day was nobody sounding the trumpet. Everybody's messed up. Everybody recognizes that all the things are kind of sideways, we're not on track, what it should look like to, to be following the Lord. And I think we can all say that same thing about our nation, right? But the call from the prophet was, we need to sound the trumpet, the vultures here. Now in Revelation, it says, when the vulture is over the carcass, you'll know that judgment has come, right? But the, when the vultures are circling, it's, it's getting late. Things are about to go south. And the warning from Hosea is, man, we really need to sound the trumpet that there's coming judgment. There will be judgment for all those things. You know, hopefully Roe v. Wade gets overturned. I know everybody doesn't agree with that, but I don't care. And hopefully it'll get overturned, but the overturning of Roe v. Wade will not wash us clean of 1.8 million abortions a year since it's been here. So, you know, there, there, and there are people hurting who need ministered to on every side of that, right? So I don't know, I, I not plan on spending a lot of time talking about it tonight, but if you guys know my story and my testimony, you know 
abortion's a part of my testimony too. So, so uh, you know, um, that was some of the ways I tried to escape the choices that I made in my own life. And I get to bear the burden of that, uh, of that um, uh, regret. You know, I know I'm forgiven and the Lord forgives us for our sins. It's not about that, but it is about coming to a point where we repent and we turn to God and say, hey, Lord, save me. I made a mess. Anybody ever made a mess? Yeah. So we need to make sure. And that was the call. So the idea of coming judgment. Here's in Numbers chapter 10, verse 5. It says this. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side <coughs> shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron and the priests will blow the trumpets, and the trumpets will be for you a perpetual statute throughout all your generations. So when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, you will sound the alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and you will be saved from your enemies. So all the way back in Numbers, the Lord said, hey, this is an important thing to do. And we understand that, right? If somebody's stealing our car, we want the alarm to go off. Or if somebody's breaking in the house, I have two little alarms. They're about a pound and a half each. And I threaten to shoot them every time somebody comes to visit me. We want the alarms to go off when they need to go off. And the point, why is it that he's calling for the alarm to go off? Because they have transgressed the covenant. They, they have broken their promise. Just like Hosea's wife broke her promise to Hosea, Israel had broke her promise to God. And the Lord looked at it just like an unfaithful spouse. In Deuteronomy 28, we can read about it. Deuteronomy 28, verse 58 says... If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in the book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions. Afflictions severe and lasting, sickness grievous and lasting. He will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they'll cling to you. Every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of the law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you will be left few in number because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God. And as the Lord took delight in doing good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you will be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. One of the things we struggle with in understanding about the character of God is his attribute of justice. So we're, everybody here loves the attribute of mercy. We love his attribute of grace. We love the attribute of love, but we don't spend much time thinking about his justice. We don't spend much time thinking about his wrath. And those are glorious parts of God's character as well. And it is right for God to judge. He's the perfect judge, right? And there is a point where people come to the end. The Bible tells us God is long-suffering, but does his suffering stop? Is there a point when he brings justice? And when God brings justice, is it holy? 
is it righteous? Now, the Lord's warning all the way back at the second repeating of the law in the book of Deuteronomy was, hey, guys, don't fall into this trap where you just keep breaking your covenants to God. Because when you continue to break these covenants to God, you will reach a point where God will bring his justice. And the Lord would take the nation of Israel down to a remnant more than one time where they would be great, but they would, he would purge that number through judgment that would come to a remnant, a faithful remnant that would march forward. That's what the exile is all about. He's going to bring them forth from the exile and bring us ultimately to Messiah. And the point is, you know, uh, I, I want to read this last part of Deuteronomy um, uh, 28 because it, it's so fitting with, uh, with uh, Hosea. Deuteronomy 28, let's go to verse 66. He says, your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you will be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you will say, if only it was evening. And at evening you will say, if only it were morning because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes will see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised you would never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. And that's exactly what Gomer lives through. See, her rebellion against God ultimately takes her to a place where nobody wants her. She has no more lovers. Nobody's paying for her affection anymore because nobody wants her anymore. So she finds herself unwanted and cast off. And that's the place where God finds her. You and I, we call that place the bottom. Right? You ever talked about that? Being at the bottom where the only place you can look is, is up? And suddenly when your rescuer is the husband you despised all those years ago because you didn't understand his character maybe, when you see him come like officer and a gentleman and he scoops you up and he carries you out of that place and he pays your price and he brings you home and he cares for you and he watches over you, you begin to value the love he has bestowed upon you. And that's the story of what God is doing for the nation of Israel. That's what he's accomplishing for her. Verse 2, Hosea 8 says, Now to me they cry. So this is the cry of the people. Three things they say. My God, we Israel know you. <laughs> Three things that they're proclaiming. This is the people of Israel who have been unfaithful to God. First, they cry out, um, my God, emphasizing the idea, hey, we belong to you. We're under your protection, remember, Lord? You know, there was a day Hosea did not want to protect Gomer anymore. Right? Where he let her go. So here the people are saying, hey, Lord, remember, we're under your protection. Then they say, we Israel, they're crying out, under their covenant name. We're your covenant people. Israel means governed by God. Hey, remember us? We're the ones that are, are governed by you. You're the God over us. And in the third phrase, we know you. They're saying we have a special 
personal knowledge of you. Had God revealed himself to Israel? Yeah, like he hadn't revealed himself to anyone else, right? He's, he's giving them special revelation to the nation of Israel. And these are true statements that they had despised until they found themselves in the furnace of affliction. That's why Isaiah would write, he would actually pray, Lord, bring the furnace of affliction because that's the only place we learn. We learn in the furnace of affliction. He says in verse 3, Israel has spurned the good, so the enemy shall pursue him. And the idea, we're contrasting these two ideas, good and enemy. So they've turned away from the Lord. They've rejected the Lord, rebelled against the Lord, even though they will call out when they're in need, right? You guys have people like that in your life, don't you? They, they would not do anything for you, but when they're in trouble, they have your number. You guys have people like that? I thought it was only me. So you have people like that that are a part of your life. Okay, well, that's, that is the picture. They've spurned the good. They've turned away from God. They don't want to serve God. They don't want to live for God. They don't want to follow God. So the Bible tells us, then they are pursued by the enemy. They've cast off the good. They've turned away from the good. And now what's left is the pursuit of the enemy. In the book of Proverbs, we are told there are only two paths. It always kind of trips me out because Led Zeppelin wrote this song. And they said in the song, there's two paths you can go by. But in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. Now, they're talking in terms of the wickedness and casting off all the oppressive attitude of, of a relationship with God and following the devil. But it's still a true statement. The book of Proverbs says there's two paths, one that leads to life, one that leads to death. If I reject the good... I'm on the road that goes where I don't want to go. Amen? Do we know people like that? Who have rejected the good and now the enemy is pursuing them? They cast off that which they need that brings salvation. And the only place that road goes is to destruction. That's the only place it goes. So that's why all while people are on that road, what is the Lord calling? In the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 8, the Lord is seen in the picture of Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom is standing on the street corner calling, come follow me. Doesn't that sound familiar? Seems like that's something Jesus said too, right? Come follow me. Don't follow the path of the fool. Follow the path of the wise. It says in verse 4, part of the downward progression of the nation of Israel, they made kings, but not through me. So they chose leaders according to their own wisdom, not according to God. I have these discussions with people every time election time comes up. So if you don't want to know what I think, you probably shouldn't ask me. You might not like the answer that you get. But a biblical, the biblical idea of a leader is someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And I don't care how many things they agree with you about. If they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then why would you want them to rule over you? It doesn't work. We've got, whatever, 250 years of 
of wretched leaders for the most part. So here the Lord says, they made kings, but not through me. Now that doesn't mean God doesn't have authority over the kings to raise them up and bring them down. What he's saying is I give the people the kings they deserve, but they're not godly kings. There was not one godly king in Israel, not one. They didn't get a good one, not one good one in their whole history. They did not get kings through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. So they're elevating leadership, but they're not elevating leadership based on godly principles. With their silver and their gold, they made idols for their own destruction. So they heap up for themselves leaders, people who will do what they want, right? Like, I don't know, give us all a raise. You'll give me a raise? Cool. We'll elect you. Give me a raise. We have a magic money press that just prints money out anytime you want it. The crazy thing is in Buell, a fireman who may come to your house and save your life gets paid less than the people at Taco Bell. Ever think about that? That's a little weird, no? Well, we look, but that's our world today, right? Yeah, especially Tommy's over there going, yeah, yeah, preach it. Sorry. So the, he's a fireman, that's why. So, so they're, they're, they're taking their silver and their gold, they're making idols for their own destruction. And he's going to zero in on the idol that they're making, the golden calf. Anybody remember the golden calf from Exodus? Okay, it says in chapter 8, again, let's pick it up at verse 4, they made kings not through me, set up princes, but I knew it not. <clears throat> With their silver, their gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel. A craftsman made it. It is not from God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken into pieces. When the northern kingdom broke off from the southern kingdom, you have the rebellion between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. J comes before R. Jeroboam is north. He's Israel. Rehoboam is south in Judah. I just told you how to keep them straight. At least that's how I do it. So Jeroboam goes north and he says, I'm afraid that when it comes time to worship on the holy days, the people won't come back. So he put a golden calf in Dan, which is the farthest north, and he put a golden calf in Samaria, which is the furthest south in the kingdom. So on both ends of the kingdom, they placed a golden calf, just like the one in Egypt, and Jeroboam declared to the people, this is the God who delivered you from Egypt. And the people worshiped the golden, just like all the way back at the beginning. Remember that didn't make God happy? They should know that, no? But they, did they care? No. What are they looking for? Look, as long as the economy's good and I have money in the bank, we're good. What? I don't care. You know, worship what you want, do what you want. It does, none of that matters as long as all these other pieces are working out for me. So this golden calf was set up. You can read about it. First Kings chapter 12. First Kings chapter 12. I'm not going to read it tonight. But if you look at that, verse 25 to 33, you can read about Jeroboam setting up the golden calf. And the Bible says here in Hosea, what are they, what's going to happen? That, that calf is going to be broken into pieces. Today, when you go to Israel... If you travel all the way to the northern part of Israel, to Dan, you can see the altar where their golden calf was. It's not there no more. Because eventually you get conquered by somebody, and if you make something out of gold, what do they do with it? 
Yeah, they take it. That's why there's no temple. Remember? So they take it, break it into pieces, melt it down, make something else out of it. The golden calf, the Lord says, is going to be broken. Just like in Exodus, right? When Moses came down the mountain and they were dancing around the golden calf and they were all excited. Look, Moses, what we did. Aren't you happy? And Moses is like, no, you, I didn't even make it down the mountain before you broke the Ten Commandments. So he ground up the altar and he fed it to them. He made them eat the gold. Now, I don't want to tell you naturally what happens when you eat gold. But you have to really want it back bad. So they, they eat the gold and that's, that is the end of it. He goes on in verse 7 of Hosea chapter 8 and he says, For they sow the wind, you've heard this before, right? And they reap the whirlwind. And the picture is, here's the, the idea of what God is saying is there's no productivity in their life. If you think about it just in the practical sense, if I go out to sow a field and the wind is howling, I have no control over where the seed goes, right? The seed's going to get blown all over the place. And I would not harvest during a tornado, right? There's no point. If you're harvesting during a tornado, all that stuff's going to get blown somewhere else. <clears throat> the point that the Lord is making is everything that you're putting your time into. In fact, Isaiah 55 says it so well. In Isaiah 55, Isaiah the prophet says, why do you spend your money? on that which does not satisfy. Why do you spend so much effort on all these things that don't matter? Why don't you come buy and eat, the prophet says. Come buy and eat without money, without price. Take the living water. The promise of God's sustenance and care. That ought to be that thing which drives us, propels us, in the decisions we make day in and day out, not the amount of gold or silver we can put in our own pockets or the cool things we can get, which is hard for us in the United States because we, guys, don't make anything. We don't make anything. We are consumers. The reason why we won't be conquered, I don't think anybody's ever going to conquer us because they would starve to death. Not because we produce so much great things, but we buy all their junk. Right? How many, how many things have you bought just this last two years? Jeff Bezos turned into a quadrillionaire because everybody goes on Amazon during the, the COVID deal. And we were like, bye, 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 bye. And we run out of money. They sent us more and we bought some more. We're consumers. It's a consumer place. We keep China afloat, just so you know. They're not, they don't want us. They want us fat and happy. Just give them money and tell them to buy our stuff. That's, that is what we have. There's no productivity. We are, we sow to the wind, we reap the whirlwind. And the standing grain has no heads. So even the standing grain that's left, there's nothing on it. It's just the stalk. It's just the straw. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield... Even if you were to yield, it goes to someone else. It doesn't go to you. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations a useless vessel. That's crazy. 
Like the point that God's saying is all of these things. And I'm sure the Northern kingdom in Israel, they, they had a good life. Things were working out. Okay. Farmers had good farms and the people had good businesses and, and life was okay. And every once in a while, a crazy prophet would come in and stand on the corner of the street and tell people to stop sacrificing their babies. And every once in a while, a crazy prophet would come in and, and tell people that uh, same-sex uh, marriage was not good in the eyes of God. And, and every once in a while, they would call the people to repentance. But they got good at turning a deaf ear to all those things. So that the Lord's charge to them is, you're a useless vessel. The picture is, remember the potter's house in Jeremiah? Jeremiah, come with me to the potter's house. And there the potter's making a vessel. You guys remember the story? And as he's making a vessel, he, he mars it. You remember? He finds some fault in it. And he throws it on the trash heap. That is the useless vessel. It's just good for throwing away. You remember what Jesus said about salt that loses its flavor? What, what's, what are we supposed to use it for? What's it good for, Right? So we have this, this same kind of an idea, right? It's a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. So then he describes Israel as a wild donkey. This is a donkey. that Now, donkeys are stubborn anyway, right? That's kind of a pretty normal picture of a donkey. I remember Pastor Gerald telling me a story about a donkey. He said they had a donkey down in the down at the uh, retreat center and it was his job to move this donkey they finally found somebody to bite a donkey and so he went out and he he uh, put reins on whatever however you do a donkey tied a lead to it whatever and he grabs a donkey and it won't move and he's pulling and slapping and kicking and all the stuff and the donkey won't move donkey just won't go nowhere so he went and got a truck and he tied the lead to the bumper of the truck and he said, donkey, you shall move. And that donkey still wouldn't move its feet. So it was grinding its hoofs going down the road. It's a dirt road out in the desert trying not to walk. That's what this wild donkey's like. A donkey that won't listen, won't do nothing anybody tells it to do. It's going to go where it's going to go. <laughs> It, it, it doesn't have authority over its own life. In fact, this donkey is wandering alone. There's nobody to stand with it. And it has no purpose. It's not working. It's not accomplishing anything. And that's, that's part of what God's saying. He says in verse 9, Ephraim has hired lovers. So Ephraim's another term for Israel. So Israel, like Gomer, is, is hiring lovers. That's not how that's supposed to work. When you're a prostitute, People are supposed to hire you. But when God is referencing his own people in their harlotry, he always says, you are a harlot who is hiring, you're paying other people to be with you. So you're losing everything in the process. You get the idea? There's no, there's no, there's no sustenance for you. There's only, there is only loss. And though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up, and the king and the princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. So they went to Assyria, and all their wisdom, the northern kingdom went to Assyria, 
and said, hey, you guys help us out. We, you know, we're afraid of all these other uh, neighbors of ours. And so Assyria said, we should just go take them. So they did. So they first they put a heavy tribute on them that they couldn't pay. And then when they refused to pay the tribute, Assyria marched on Israel and took them away captive. And that was the end uh, of the northern kingdom. In verse 11 of Hosea 8, it says, Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would regard them all as a strange thing. He says they, they have become, you've heard this phrase, you become like the God you serve. You become like the God you serve. If you're serving a God of self, you become selfish. You've, you, you serve a God like Yahweh, you're supposed to become like him. Your character ought to be like his. He's saying, look, you have all these altars for all these sins. So you, to me, are like an altar for sinning. All they have become is those to whom the laws of God are strange. If I wrote you 10,000 laws, they would be a strange thing to you. Because they don't know the Lord. In verse 13 he says, and, and as for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. They were still worshiping Yahweh. They would still do the things they're supposed to do, celebrate the feasts they were supposed to celebrate. But they were also going to the golden calf. They were also worshiping Baal. And they were also participating in sexual immorality. They were doing all these things and trying to just add God into this crazy life. And God said, I don't accept it. The first commandment, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You don't want half your heart. What was it that made David special? He was a man after God's own heart. You know another way to say that? He was a man with an undivided heart. That's the goal. That's the goal, to be a man like that. The Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity, their sin, punish their sins, and they will return to Egypt. They're going to captivity. This is the judgment coming down from the prophet. And here's what he says, verse 14. For Israel has forgotten his maker. So you're, you're seeing in the story of, of Gomer and Hosea, this is the prophet talking about Gomer, the nation of Israel, leaving, being unfaithful to God, and leaving God, not wanting to have anything to do with him. She has forgotten me. And I'm the one who made her. Again, you should... Take the time, if you're not familiar with Ezekiel 16, you should read Ezekiel 16 because God describes finding Israel like a baby thrown away in a field. And he says, I nursed you and I took care of you and I fed you and I cleaned you and I put gold on you and I gave you fine things to wear and all the things that God did for this child, the nation of Israel, he found cast out that nobody wanted. And then he describes her entering into a life of a prostitute and leaving him. And this is what's being described by Hosea here. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces. And Judah, remember there's always a reminder to Judah because Judah's where the remnant will come. 
Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire on the cities and devour the strongholds. They are entering into a place where they trusted their own ability. They're building fortified cities. They got a great military. They got all the stuff they need. They don't really need God to deliver them. They have science. They have the weapons. They have whatever stuff they need. They don't, they don't really need God. And God's not going to judge us. We're God's special people. But God does. The Bible says judgment begins where? In the house of the Lord. And so that part of God's character can't be ignored. It can't be ignored. Is God merciful? For sure. Is he grace? Does he give us grace? Yeah. Does he love us? For, yeah. But he will discipline. He will correct. And he will bring his wrath and justice. Because that's as much a part of who God is as God is love. Recognizing the character of God and understanding what happens at the end of the story. Does God cast her off? Leave her unwanted in the field, hated by all her former lovers? No. What does God do? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have. He provided redemption for the outcasts. He's laying out that the story of his love in the life of Hosea. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for who you are and what you've done, Lord. And I do pray that we, as men and women who love you, who want to follow you, who want to... Uh, reflect your character god that we would be able to do that that we would be able to to um respond to you god to love you for who you are for what you've done and uh god we're so we're so blessed by your grace by your mercy by all the different ways lord that you are able to deliver us from and through uh, the things that we go through, God, you are a good God. We praise your holy name, Lord. We pray that we could um, know you abundantly above all you ask or imagine. And we give you all the praise for this time that we can spend with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.